0: Amen. All right, so we understand the prodigal. Most of you probably heard this uh, numerous times. But uh, let me pause a moment and remind you of something. Earlier in the chapter, we began in verse 11. Earlier in the chapter, we have two other things that are lost. Do you remember the story? The first parable is actually about a sheep that's lost. And so Jesus said, would you not leave the and 99 and go after the other and find it? And then when you find it, you come back and you all rejoice together that the sheep that was lost has now been found. Then the the Bible tells us a second parable before we get to the prodigal son and that is about a silver coin that's lost. There was a set of them and one of them is lost and so they uh, swept the house and looked diligently until they found uh, the coin and then of course the same thing happens that we read about earlier which is uh, that you rejoice over the finding of it And, and then now we have the lost son. So we have the sheep and the silver and the son in this chapter. There's a lot of confusion and a lot of debate over who the two sons are. What did Jesus mean when he said a certain man had two sons? Let me say this to you. Before I get into some explanation of who the two sons are, there is little debate about who the father is in this text. This is believed to be God the father. That's the story that Jesus is telling. He represents the certain man, none other than God the Father. What I'd like to do with you is is focus on him. But before we do that, we're going to kind of mention a few things about the two sons. We read about the younger who has gone now and and has wasted his goods with uh, prodigal living, the Bible said. Verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into, into the fields to feed swine. Now, you've probably heard the story that this is a Jewish setting, perhaps a, a Jewish young man. No doubt that is the case. Nothing could be considered worse than going out to feed the swine. The pigs were considered unclean and this is a very um, just discouraging thing that this young man has got himself into. So I want you to remember that. But then something happens. As we read the text, uh, let's see the Bible says he sent him out to feed his swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything But when he came to himself, he said... Now let me pause a moment. When he came to himself... Now this is a very important place. It is at this stage when people consider and uh, are somewhat curious. Can life be better than where I find myself? That's the curiosity that is there. Can I share something with you that I found uh, somewhat shocking? One out of four... So 25% of our population no longer even consider eternity. One out of four answer the question in survey about considering where they will spend eternity with this answer. I really choose not to think about it. I choose not to think about it. If you have been actively witnessing to people, you probably have run into that as a response. I just don't, I don't think about it. I choose not to think about it. I don't, I don't care to even think about it. This young man came to himself. It is at this point of curiosity when he begins to think to himself, is there a better way for me to live my life? Is there something that I am missing? And indeed there was. He realized it and listen to what he said. He said, he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hide servants have bread enough and despair and I perish with hunger I will arise and go to my father now I want you to focus in on that for a moment with me verse 18 I will arise and go to my father I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of this thing I'm in and the way I do this is I go to my father I go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put on a ring on his hand and sand on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now let me stop for a moment. If this was only about the prodigal, this story probably would have ended right here. But it doesn't end. And remember that the Bible tells us the parable began with: There are two sons. So now we go into the rest of the story. Now his older son, verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, Your brother has has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, the Bible says. That's an interesting reaction. He is angry. And he would not go in. Therefore his father came out. Did you catch that? His father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends, but as soon as this son of yours. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes that happens between moms and dads, doesn't it? This is your child. You need to take care of this child of yours. But here it happens among siblings. As soon as the son of yours has come, you have devoured, uh, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. A.B.W. Pink, a commentator that I often uh, quote, he holds an opinion that I happen to disagree with here. He says that the the prodigal, must represent can only represent the unredeemed that it cannot refer to a person who has been saved and then uh or or excuse me a person yes who has been saved but uh has backslidden he said it cannot refer to that but then he really doesn't deal with the older son because there's someone else in the family already. Now he also doesn't deal with the fact that the son is already part of the family before he goes on the prodigal journey. Nor does he deal with the fact that the sheep that is lost in the text was part of the fold before it was lost. And the coin was part of a set before it was lost. And so I find that there is some difficulty in all of this. As far as being able to say definitively that the prodigal son is someone who represents only the one who is lost. You see, we don't believe in general sonship. Now, what does that mean? We don't believe. Every now and then you'll hear somebody say it. You'll hear somebody and they'll say, uh, well, we're all just children of God. That's not true. Matter of fact, when Jesus walked the earth, he said to some, you are of your father, the devil. Now that, that pretty much does away with general sonship. You, uh, uh, not everybody is a child of God. Now if you want to labor the issue some and say, and this may be an application, this is true. That Adam was created in fellowship with God. And so he was, if you will, in the family and then he sinned against God and sin separated him. So we could go that far and say maybe that's the picture here. Others, such as John Gill, as well as other commentators, have said that the text is pretty clear. If you begin uh, at the beginning of chapter 15, you find that Jesus is speaking to a group. There are two groups of people that he's speaking to. Verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So there are others who believe, such as Gill and some other commentators, that, that the two sons represent one group may be the sinners and, and tax collectors, the publicans. That would be uh, the, the prodigal. And then the other, the hypocritical or the, um, uh, the sanctimonious son who stayed at home would be represented by the Pharisees and the scribes. Now that is probably true in its immediate setting. But as is the case with many of the Lord's teachings, the Holy Spirit can apply it to a number of settings. So I believe this today. I believe that indeed it was spoken to the group he was speaking to. And the scandalous son is probably the sinners and the publicans that he's talking to. And the sanctimonious, probably the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I don't have any problem with that at all. However... For us today, I think there is a great application for somebody who is unredeemed, somebody who's never known Christ, never been, uh, never been born again. But it also would apply to those of us who have been saved, who have lost our way from time to time and maybe find ourselves far away at this particular time in life. And so I do believe that all those applications can be made today. Having said that, let me draw your attention back for a moment at the course that we're going to take today. Uh, As I was reading this and studying this, verse 18 just jumped out at me. I will arise and go to my Father. I will arise and go to my Father. I believe this, the Bible does not record it, so give me a little liberty for a moment if you would. Uh, but I believe it would have been, no doubt, uh, a logistical approach for this man who finds himself, I want you to picture him out in the, in the uh, pig pen, if you will, with his bucket. He's scooping up whatever it is that they're eating, and he's tossing it out to the pigs, and he's very hungry. And so somewhere at this moment, he comes to himself. And by the way, let me, let me point this out to you. I think God is the perfect parent. Can I get an amen? Amen. And according to this text, he's dealing with a prodigal. Now I'm telling you this because sometimes our children don't always go the way we want them to go. And sometimes we take it very personally. And sometimes we think we blew it somehow. Let me remind you that God was the only parent Adam and Eve had. And when they chose to sin against God, He was the only parent. He had had told them, He had instructed them correctly. But there is this thing known as the will of man. And just as the prodigal chose to stray and Adam chose to stray, I'm telling you that sometimes our children will sometimes choose to go against what they've been taught. Having said that, I'll move on in saying He came to Himself. I believe, I think it's, I think it's reasonable to assume that he picks up his bucket, he goes back to the door of the farmer who has given him the job, he knocks on the guy's door, and and as the guy comes to the door, he hands him his bucket back and he says something like, hey, I've had enough, I'm going home, I'm going to go to my father. Perhaps the man would have said something like this, what? Your father? Do you know what you look like right now? Do you know where you've been? Do you see yourself? Do you smell yourself? Do you understand the condition you're in? Your father, he'll have nothing to do with you. And then I can almost hear the prodigal say, but you don't know my father. So let me tell you what my father is like. Now that's going to be the course of our sermon this morning. So if you have a study sheet you want to fill in some things. I think one of the first things he could have said and would have said is he's a provider. He provides for us. He provides for us. Now, how do we know he's a provider? Well, the Bible tells us that he had uh, possessions and and started dividing them up among the family. And this is an interesting point. Look at verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, this normally would have happened when the father died. And so understand this with me and, and make a note of this if you would, please. The prodigal living was a result of the prodigal living as though the father is dead. Now I want you to grab that for a moment because if the father is a picture of God is it not true that sometimes we decide to live our life as though God does not exist? And that's the choice of the younger, the younger son in this text. So he says, give to me my goods. So the Bible actually says the father does that. Now that's interesting. Later, the, the young man while he's in the pig pen he understands that his father not only has provided for him and for his brother, but he also provides well for the servants in his household, for all of his employees. He said, my father's servants, his hired servants, are treated better than this. They've got food enough, they've got plenty. And so what he's looking at is the provisions of the dad, what the father does in making a way and providing a way. If you're looking for instruction as a dad, either in the future or currently, let me remind you what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that we are to be men who work, and we are to be people who, if we do not work, we do not eat. And in John chapter 5, and in verse 17, we're reminded of the Father's work, that is the Heavenly Father. But Jesus answered them, my Father has been working until now, and I have been working and in verse 21 he said for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them even so the son gives life to whom he will earlier brother Mark in the, in the offertory time uh, gave an example of God putting his son out and giving his son and indeed that's the case is it not John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son what are we talking about we're talking about the father the heavenly father providing a way providing salvation for us were it not for what he gave and what he did we could not have eternal life. Philippians chapter 4, Paul would echo that. He would amen that statement that my father provides. He said in verse 19 of Philippians 4, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So we know God provides. He's the perfect parent. So what about us in this earthly realm? 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever the Bible said. So men, we were created to work. When you, when you study Genesis, uh, you, could, you don't get very far before you come to Genesis 2 and verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. That was before the sin. Don't ever say, working is a result of the sin. If it wasn't for the sin, we'd be on vacation like all the time in the garden. It's not true. We were given work before there was sin. Now, we were given thorns as a result of the sin. What are you saying? I'm saying that the work was made difficult. There is something inside of men, and some of you men have experienced this, when you retired, there's something in you that that aggravated you and frustrated you because you feel like you can't work. Maybe you get to the point physically where it begins to take its toll on you and what you used to do you can't do anymore and it aggravates and frustrates. It's because God has designed you to work. He's done that very thing in you. So when we don't work, there is something in us that is unfulfilled. And, and it's something that we ought to understand. Now, when I say this, I understand there are sometimes disabilities that occur. And that's not what I'm what I'm getting at today as far as working. But there are things that uh, that we need to understand that are biblical principles. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there uh, are some who... Um, walk among you in a disorderly manner not working at all but are busybodies. now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread you know the truth of the matter is if we're busy working we don't really have a lot of time to worry about what everybody else is doing would you agree to that And oftentimes, it's in those down times, in that idle time, that we end up causing a whole lot of havoc and a whole lot of problems. I remember once in my ministry many years ago, uh, somebody had written this horrible letter, and I showed it to a pastor friend of mine, and he read it, an elderly gentleman who had been pastoring about 65 years at the time. And when he read the letter, I said, well, tell me what you think, and this is what he said to me. He said, I think the person that wrote that has little to do. The truth of the matter is if we're busy doing, we don't have a whole lot of time to do all the complaining that sometimes we get involved in. So I think this young man would have looked at the owner of the farm and I think he would have said he's a provider. He provides for us. That's what God does. That's what his father did. I think secondly he would have said he is patient with us. He is patient with us. There was nothing in the prodigal that led him to believe that his father would not have received him at least as a hired servant. Did you catch that? Nothing. Now, he didn't want to come back as a son. He knew that he had pretty well blown it. But indeed, he didn't realize the grace of the father, did he? Not fully. And so he he makes up his mind, I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to tell him I sinned against him. I'm not worthy to be called his child anymore. But I at least want to be one of your hired servants. Will you at least hire me to do work? Because I know working for you as a provider, I'll be much better taken care of than what's happening to me out here. So I think he would have told this man, my father is patient with us. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 records, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think one of the most difficult things in my life as a dad, uh, having parented three children, I, I think was, was letting them make mistakes from time to time. That, that's been tough. And knowing when to say, look, I'm going to tell you this. I know you're going to do your own thing, but I'm going to tell you this and, and I want you to at least hear it from me that this is not what you ought to be doing. This is what you should be doing. And sometimes as dads, all you can do is declare what ought to be. And then you got to be patient because all of us operate on our own schedule. Some of you, uh, some of us, didn't do what our parents told us to do. Now you need to look at your friend and give him the shock face. <laughs> Obviously the preacher's not talking about you. Am I right? Some of us didn't adhere to the counsel. We had to learn it the hard way. You know, if you're going to be hard headed, you're going to learn it the hard way. And so the prodigal son, he comes to his father and he says, Father, give to me the goods that are, are, are for me so that I can go and do the things I want to do. And so not long after he had them, he waited a little while, but not long after he had them, he took off on his journey. Now I ask you a question. Knowing what you know about the father, not, I'm not talking about just God the father, but I'm talking about this father. Knowing what you know about him in the chapter, in the story... Where he obviously has a a business going, he's got hired servants, he's been a good caretaker, a thoughtful man. Do you think he knew what his son was going to do? I think he did. I think he did. Some of us might say, well, bless God, he shouldn't have given him that stuff then. He was going to go waste it. But this is the patience of God. As a matter of fact, God is much more patient with us than we are with others. And we ought to be thankful that he's much more patient with us. We think about what God did for us and how he did it for us and how he is long-suffering and he is kind and he is gentle. It's important for us to teach our children discernment, to teach them to make good decisions. I think that's a a key to all of this. If you want to focus in on on what one duty should you uh, somehow really emphasize in your life as a dad, teach your children discernment. Teach them to choose the right things. The Bible tells us, In uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? That was a prayer of Solomon. Solomon asked for wisdom. Give me the ability to discern between right and wrong, between good and evil. That's That's the thing. Listen, you're not always going to be beside them or always with them. Earlier we opened the service with uh, with a little video where the words of our dad in that case the words you've got this the encouragement of dad stay with you throughout your life. Let me tell you something the thing you need to give over to your children is the ability to discern good and evil to make good decisions to know the right decisions. You'll not be with them all the time. And so it's important that we do that. Judges chapter 17 and verse number 6 reminds us, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. In other words, they just determined on their own what they were going to do, what they wanted to do, and they did it. They lived their life, and I think this is important, they lived their life like the prodigal lived it, almost as though God was dead, as though there was no accountability to God. As though he was not going to hold them accountable. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. Let me read this text to you. Verse 25 and 26. And whenever, whenever you stand praying. If you have anything against anyone. forgive him that your father in heaven. May also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive. Neither will your father in heaven. Forgive your trespasses. Dads. Moms as well. Christians. We ought to practice forgiveness. We've been a recipient of forgiveness, and we need to practice forgiveness. That's that's hard for us sometimes, isn't it? I I think about this prodigal, and the prodigal comes home, and the father's reaction, he sees him a long way off, and so he goes out. The Bible actually says he runs, and if you know a little bit about the culture, you know that that's an act of great humility because in the day and age, men did not break their gate, they did not run. But in this case, because of his love and his compassion, he runs toward this young man who he sees in the distance. And what I love about this is his patience has paid off now. even though while he was patient, he never quit looking for that young man to return. And God never quits looking for the day that you and I will return. I love this part about uh, this story. If, you, if you'll permit me, I'd like to, to show it to you. Look in verse uh, 17 but when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair and I perish with hunger I will arise and go to my father and will say to him father I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father I love this because he, he took a long journey he was in a far country but the bible does not deal with the length of time it took him to get home it's almost instantaneous in the story. And the thing that I love about this is, I believe it's like this. You, when you know the Lord and there's been a time in your life when you've known Him, he, he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And no matter how many steps you take in the wrong direction, it is only one step back before you meet Him. He's right there all along. Yeah. And I happened to see that in this text and I thought, man, that's a good thing for us to remember. He's a loving and forgiving, a very patient, patient father. And then number three, I think he would say, he pursues us. He's constantly looking for us and he he wants to teach us and do what is right. You know, the Bible says uh, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And just like in the story of the sheep, which we did not take time to read... The shepherd goes out looking for the lost sheep and just like in the story of the silver coin where the woman sweeps and looks diligently for that lost coin. That's what God has been doing with you. And if you think you're in this service today listening to this message today by something called happenstance I want to remind you that God is the one that's in control. And he has a reason for this and the reason may be he's been looking for you for a long time. Some people make the mistake of saying, well, when I found Christ. You say, why is that a mistake? Because you you weren't looking for him. He'd been looking for you for all of eternity. He saw you way back. When you were a long way away, he saw you. When he was on the cross of Calvary, he saw you. And he's been pursuing you ever since. So he said, the Bible says, I will arise. And go to my father. I like that phrase arise. I, I will get up. He, he's obviously in a very low place in his life. I think we can say that. He's very discouraged at this point in his life. Maybe he doesn't know where to turn. And so, at this particular instant, I think many things could happen, but I, I like what does happen. He chooses to run to the father, he doesn't choose anything else. Of all the choices he may have had, he chooses to run. He knows life with the Father is so much better than life out here without him. And I'm telling you, life in a relationship with God the Father is so much better than any other type of life. How he pursues us. I think he would talk about how he pardons us. We've talked a little bit about forgiveness. But let me talk a little bit about this for a moment with you. How he pardons us. We've read in the story how the father receives him. I find it interesting because, um, you know, the guy's been living uh, out there. He's got... You know, I don't know what he's wearing. He doesn't have a robe on. He's, he's done away with that, the outer garment. He has no shoes on his feet. The, uh, the father asks for the shoes to be brought. He, he has no ring on his hand. He probably got rid of everything that was of any value at all just so he could survive. He had taken everything he had that was worth anything. So I don't know what he's dressed in. I don't know what he smells like. It can't be good. Am I right? He comes to the father and the father runs out to him and he falls on his neck. The Bible says he embraces him. There is not one word in this whole text about, look, go clean him up and then bring the robe. There's no word. Son, you remember where the bathroom is? Go over there first. No mention. It's as though... None of that even matters or exists. Now here's the point that I I need to make with you. When God forgives us, he does not require of us to somehow clean ourselves up first. He wants us to come to him. That is so important. I can't tell you how many people in 35 years of ministry, I can't tell you how many have have come real close to coming back to the Father, but they really believe somehow in their mind and in their heart, they have to get some things right first. They have to clean some things up first. They have to do this first. And then they'll come and they'll present themselves to God. That's not the way it works. Just come like you are and let Him do the rest. So important. Bring the robe and put it on him. Not just a robe, but the best. Bring the best robe, verse 22 says. Now you know the best robe in the house would have been the father's robe. Right? And I'm sure there's application here for how you have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. I love that word. It's very theological. (laughs) Makes me sound like I've had a biblical education, doesn't it? Imputed. Yeah, yeah transferred to your account. It's when, it's when God took the righteousness of Jesus like a, like a garment, like a coat, and put it over you. Amen. So when God the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He doesn't see all that other junk from our life. Amen. That's a wonderful thing about how he pardons us. I like a verse of scripture found in the book of Hebrews in the first chapter in the third verse who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The word purged in this text means to move from us this is important, when you purge something, it it moves. He moves it. Well, where does he move our sin? According to the psalmist in Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You've heard it said before, but God knew what he was doing when he said east from the west. The two never meet. If you started traveling east, you would always be traveling east. Unlike if you traveled north, which you would begin to travel south. The north meets the south. The east really never meets the west. And the idea is that he has separated them from us forever. He's removed our sin from us. That's the forgiveness of God the Father. But there is a problem and I want to give it to you before I move into the last thing that I think the prodigal would have shared and the problem is that some things have changed he has spent his inheritance now in the application you don't lose heaven but I do believe that the choices we make today may cause us some grief in our life someone has said it this way sin will keep you much longer than you ever wanted to stay and it will cost you Far, far more than you ever wanted to pay. And so I ask you today if you can do anything preventatively. If you can can stop the choices that might lead you into a state in which you find yourself coming back to the Father without all of the other blessings that you once had or could have, then I encourage you to make that decision and be wise about your decisions and prevent some of the things... You can prevent a lot of them, can't we? You agree to that? Young people particularly, you can prevent a lot of them. We often don't see what kind of trouble we get ourselves into, and yet that is the case. He comes back to the father, but as he said, uh, the inheritance is gone. As the father said to the older son, you are always with me, verse 31 says, and all that I have is yours. That is all of this that that we look at. You see, he still had the inheritance. He still had some blessings that the, the other son did not have anymore. And so I'm asking you, yes, you can be restored into fellowship. But don't miss out on the other blessings that God has for you by prodigal living by prodigal living. And then last of all, I think he would say to the owner of the home, I'm going back to my father. What's he like? He pleads with us. He pleads with us. We find him pleading with the older brother. The younger son comes in. Things are not as he had thought they would be. They are much better. Can I get an amen? Amen. Much better. He thought he was coming in as a a servant. He's restored to this wonderful position of son. And indeed that is something that God can do. And then the older brother has a problem. He doesn't like what's going on. We have to be careful with this because sometimes in our lives even, think about this a moment. Have you ever seen someone, maybe wait a long time, a story is told in one of... uh, John Phillips books about a, a doctor in the city that they were in who was uh, known for uh, just blasting anything that had to do with God or religion and, and he was on his deathbed and he called for uh, a local pastor and the pastor came but the pastor was um, very liberal in his views and he really didn't present the gospel to this man at all and, uh, and, and he was inquiring about heaven although he had lived this horrible life and was outspoken against God And no decision was made and so someone told another pastor who came by his bed and and he actually led him to Christ and the and the doctor got saved and then the doctor died and someone had seen the first pastor in the community and the pastor was all upset and they asked him why And he said that that was was not right. That that was unrighteous. That was unjust. That God would redeem a man who had lived his life the way that he had lived it for so many years. That God would turn around and give him forgiveness of his sin before he leaves here. And that is the picture of the self-righteous older son. When we begin to resent the goodness of God toward others. The forgiveness of God toward others. When we forget... What he has done for us. It's a neat story if you looked at and just observed the older son. Who gets very little attention in this story most of the time. But he's very uh, sanctimonious. He's very self-righteous. He begins to look only at himself. He says things like, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. You never did this for me. It's all about me. Why didn't you do this for me? He's upset because the younger brother lived his life all for himself and he doesn't even see he's doing the same thing in his heart at least in his heart. May not have been outward but he's a prodigal of his own. The heart is far from him. From the Lord that is. We find ourselves sometimes without wanting to I think in Second Timothy chapter 3. The Bible tells us in verse 1 of that text that in the latter days, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be, and now we start getting this list, lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. I want you to notice this one. Unthankful. Unholy unloving unforgiving slanderers without self-control brutal brutal despisers of good traitors heady haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away Paul said to young Timothy the day is coming when this is going to be the characteristic of the culture let us be careful that it doesn't become the characteristic of the church let us be careful that those who may refer to themselves as the older son, those who stay home, those who have been faithful, those who have, let us be careful that we don't develop a resentment toward others that God is reaching. Let us rejoice together that somebody, anybody, who was lost is found. And that's the emphasis of the story of the Father. Let me encourage you. Pray much about your relationship with the Father. Thank him for who he is and who he is with you. If, if you're in a place that you know you need to come closer to him, then do that. He, he's only a step away. If you've never entered a relationship with the Father, you've never never come to the Father through the Son, which is the only way you can get to the Father, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. If you've never done that, then I encourage you to make that decision this morning. So whether you're uh, lost and in need of a savior, or whether you're saved and find yourself in a backslidden state, or whether you're actually saved and you wouldn't classify yourself as backslidden, but as the older brother, you tend to be resentful of reaching out to others because you yourself have been so faithful and perhaps unrecognized, and the goodness of God frustrates you. The grace of God... So however the Lord may have used it, I hope that you'll pray with me now. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we ask your blessings, Lord, on the invitation. Lord, I know that you uh, can make so many different applications out of the parables. In this particular one, Lord, we've, we've given several suggestions for application and I don't know really how you've used it in the lives of each, each person. So Lord, I just pray that you have and I pray that if there's one here today that's not been saved, that today they'll come to know you. That they'll understand your love, your, your compassion, how you have reached out for them, how you sent your son to die on the cross for them. And then, Lord, for others who may be saved, but maybe our lives have drifted. Maybe we've lived our lives as though you're dead, that you're not paying attention. God, help us to come back to you. Help us to experience revival and true resurrection of spirit within us. Let us arise and return to you. And God, for others of us who may be on the outside do not appear to have strayed at all, but yet on the inside, our heart is not what it ought to be. We're unthankful for what you've done. Lord, we tend to focus on that which we don't have, like the older son in the story. So God, help us, we pray. Forgive us. We thank you for your patience and your provision, for your pleading with us, for how you pursued us. We ask now, God, that you bless in Jesus' name. While heads are bowed.